this is Woodman from Plants and Animals. And you're listening to CJM 99.1, Windsor, Detroit. 9.1 FM, Windsor, Detroit. Some love in your life Don't you really want to know How it feels Everybody want to see What it's like We even want to be inside It ain't lies We all know there's better things In this life Hello And thank you for joining us on Magna Carta Pro Bono Radio You're listening to CGM 99.1 FM my name is Victor, and I'll be your host this afternoon, along with your co-host, Mark. So, if you're joining us for the first time, I'd like you to welcome you to our show and offer a quick recap of what our organization, Pro Bowden Student Canada, or PBSC, is all about. Pro Bowden Students Canada is a national organization of pro bono law students with chapters in 22 Canadian law schools. Our chapter here at Windsor Law fits in quite well with our school's values of social justice and offers many law students, volunteers, a chance to make an impact with organizations to deliver legal services to those in need and those who lack the resources to retain legal counsel. All of our projects here at PBSC are under supervision by a practicing lawyer. On your last show, your hosts Summer and Stephen spoke to our pro bono Windsor heads Ryan and Ria. If you missed it, please give it a listen online in the archives. And finally, before we get into any legal topic discussions, we'd just like to remind our audience that anything stated on this radio talk show reflects the opinions of those people only and does not necessarily reflect those of CGM as a radio station or PBSC as an organization. Everyone, Mark here. So if you tuned in last time, you guys know that I try to bring in like sort of a current legal topic um, just to add like a different side to the show. So typically I add like uh, a story from like the Windsor Star or any Windsor or local locally related shows. So the last time we were here, we had Olivia on and she was doing um, an interview about the landlord and tenant board. So there I actually had an article about those shipping containers that were converted into like small homes. Victor and I had a pretty good conversation about that. Yeah, right? I remember that. We actually talked ourselves about whether we'd want to live one of those. And you know what? I think, I, I think I'd be willing to give it a try now. I think you talked me into it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, man. I lived in residence for two years, so trust me, I understand what it's like to live in a small home. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so this time, I unfortunately couldn't find a story that was connected to the topic of the day. So instead, I wanted to find something that I'm interested in. Mm. Are you ready for this, Victor? I can't wait to hear it. Food fraud. Food Food fraud. fraud. Yes, yeah. yes. So I found this article out of the conversation. 
super cool um super cool um news network by the way mm. a lot of our professors here have actually written for it um so the title of the article is called fish sausage even honey food fraud is hidden in plain sight plain sight <laughs> plain okay. sight yeah so essentially the article talks about how globalization has sort of increased the difficulties in tracking um where our food comes from and what is actually in our food so it used to be very easy you know there were local farmers um they typically get um all their food from a small area so the stats here say that uh usual grocery stores would have 300 items grown um within a 240 kilometer radius that's not that bad right like you can drive that that's like what here to london maybe? yeah that's uh, definitely a daily a drive farther, some people. yeah right that's yeah. like hour or two but in the postmodern market, um, these superstores now have about 33,000 items that have traveled up to 240 or 2,400 kilometers or more. 2,400 wow. kilometers. That's dude. a lot. And That's we're a border a town here at Windsor, too. Right? I wouldn't have thought that that number would. Wow. Yeah. So the issue that comes with that is that it's so much harder to have transparency there. So there's been reoccurring incidents of food fraud. Um, and the general risk is that um, these people selling food are able to sort of skip on quality a little bit and yeah. sell lower quality food um, or even give us food with ingredients that are not necessarily the safest. Um, wow. Yeah, right? Uh, so people wonder, like, okay, well, who who's getting in front of this? Who kind of helps support the food industry who's who's i guess the watchdog of the police industry and of the food industry yeah, interesting. um and i actually found this one place which sounds super cool the canadian food inspection agency so they actually conduct um like tests on the food and they do all the things regarding to that and they sort of estimate that 10 percent of commercially sold food is affected by food fraud 10 10 percent 10 percent dude it's like if you buy 10 carrots and one of them is one of those like fake carrots that you get with like a Barbie uh -huh. doll or something, right? Um, wow. So you think that's bad. They think that globally food fraud ranges from around 10 to 49 U.S. billion dollars. I, I, maybe it's not a conspiracy theory. Everything tastes like chicken, huh? <laughs> oh my maybe God. it is Honestly, like honestly, right? So... And and they try to say that this is a conservative range, and that meats alone are as high as two point five billion dollars. So yeah, B billion with a B. With a B. So yeah, everything is chicken, man. Everything is chicken. <laughs> um, so once you add like wine, alcohol, adulterated honey, which I'm gonna get back to because this is something Put I put into that out. adulterated um, honey, spices, mislabeled fish, and false claims of organic products, this like number just spikes. Okay, wow. now I just, when I first read this, I heard about adulterated honey, and I'm like, there's no way, you know? You just go, I don't know, like you go to a honeycomb, you grab the honey from it, and there you go. But apparently, some companies are watering down the honey. They add, like, corn syrup or all these preservatives and additives to it so that rather than selling you, let's say, 100 grams of honey, they're selling you, like, maybe, like, 80 grams with a pinch mm. of other stuff in there. A pinch of the little preservatives. Yeah, to keep a little it. preservative there, you know, just to keep your insides uh, going for a while, right? Yeah. Um, and that that's just ridiculous to me. Like, of all things, honey. Honey's, like, the most pure 
product out there. You know, you think of honey. The I think it's like honey nut Cheerios. Like I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Uh, so it's 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 a widespread problem. Um, but there are regulations out there. Um, there's another organization called the Food Safe Food for Canadians um, Act and the Food and Drug Act. These are sort of regulations and laws that work mm-hmm. to protect consumers. Um, so the SFCR, um, which was a Safe Food for Canadians Act, um, mm-hmm. prevents con- puts uh, controls in place um, so that you are able to trace where your food is coming from. You can trace it all the way down to sort of like the distributors, to the manufacturer, or not manufacturers, but like the farmers and everything. Yeah. So I like what I get from this is that you see an apple in the store and they have those stickers, right? Yep. If you do enough research, you can trace it back to the very farm that that apple came from. That's amazing. You're going to go food detective. I mean, sorry, look at all my food. Right? Uh, I'm going to come to your house and see how much of your food is real. Take a look <laughs> at my fridge. It's full of It's full of a lot of... Uh, Let's say food. <laughs> Let's say food. <laughs> I, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm starting to question it now. Right? So part of the issue, too, is um, that there's a lot of mislabeling going on in these packages. So the first thing that I think of is, you know how you'll see, like, a, a juice box or something, and it says, oh, made with 100% fruit juices. And you're like, oh, cool. Like, I don't know. Like, I sort of expected my juice to be made out of, you know, juice. And then you, like, check the ingredients and the first thing it lists is literally 100% fruit juice. Mm-hmm. So some companies will change the name of like an ingredient to like fresh fruit, fresh fruit or 100% this. So they mislead you into thinking that you're actually drinking fresh fruit um, or fresh fruit juices, right? Mm-hmm. So like another thing comes up is like when you drink Gatorade or Powerade or something, you see that it's orange flavor and you're like okay like i guess there's definitely oranges in there and you look at the ingredients and it says no just orange flavor i don't even know what orange flavor orange is flavor is the easiest way to right? say like where do you do it? where do you get that color? do you like do you harvest that from somewhere <laughs> like you know it's just it's strange um so recently uh in july of 2019 the cfia actually received 24.4 million dollars in food fraud funding after they found out that there has been over 12,000 800 kilograms of unadult or adulterated honey that was blocked from entering the Canadian market. Wow, twelve thousand eight hundred kilograms, dude. The CFIA is that a federal or a provincial uh, legislation? That's a really good question. I, I honestly couldn't tell you. Um, the article wasn't necessarily clear in its purview. Um, Let's give it a quick. But I'm gonna have to guess that that say a federal because it sounds like a federal. I, I don't think it would be smart to have sort of different food um, regulations across uh, the provinces, right? Like it is indeed, that would sort of it is indeed have the idea that you get a certain quality of food in one province, but then a significantly different quality of food mm-hmm. in a different province. And right? as we learned in our uh, constitutional class, federalism is principle, and this is one of those things that you can't trust the provinces to regulate on their own uh if only our <laughs> con profs could see and hear us now yeah they'd be in here and be like yes yes um so it's it's interesting because they don't necessarily consider food fraud the same as consumer fraud um and this was sort of outlined when there's an instance of uh this thing called breadgate. that's a whole different topic i have no idea what um 
what it is with people and adding gate to controversial things, you know? Like, Thank you watch you, football. Richard There's Dixon. that situation where, like, I don't know, like, the ball was deflated. Spy like, gate, the flay gate. Oh, thank you, Richard Water gate, for all your many controversies. All the gates, man. <laughs> I guess it works, right? It works. Um, so, yeah, they found out that um, a lot of the bread companies were colluding to sort of raise the prices. Um, that's terrible. And that's when they realized that, like, food fraud and consumer fraud doesn't necessarily have the same protections there. Um so what they're suggesting is that you really need to protect food insiders who act as whistleblowers. Yes. Because it's really them who are the ones who are going to notice and call out what happens, right? Mm-hmm. And if we don't protect them, then there's no real incentive for them. Absolutely. I can list so many different stories of um, whistleblowers, like even just ones from like the CIA or all these American uh, organizations yes. that they go through a rough time after doing it because there were no protections for them at the place. And they performed such an integral part to making sure that our leaders and our authorities are doing their jobs in our interest. Exactly, exactly. So the University of Guelph actually got funding and they have like this new technology that you can just like, I don't know, like take a bit of your food and actually DNA test it. And then you can see, oh, like, wow. okay, well, if they're saying that you're eating meat or you're eating chicken specifically, you can test it. And I'll be like, okay, this is actually, like, 13% chicken. And you're like, wait, 13% what? 13% chicken. Right? So it'll tell you the breakdown. And that's sort of a way for these um, organizations to, you know, just cross-reference and see, like, okay, these people aren't lying about their food. Um, yeah. So through this, they actually found that there's a lot of mislabeling of fish and sausages. I yeah. Mean, I now that you said it, I really don't want to see how the sausage is made. Right, right. <laughs> Do, have you you know about the show how it's made, right? Yeah. But... I uh, I watched how hot dogs are made, and let's just say that uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, mystery meat. Mystery meat. Yeah. So um, they found that 14 percent of the 100 sausages tested still contain meat that was undeclared. Can you imagine that? Undeclared meat. Can you I, imagine that? I hope it's tofu. <laughs> <laughs> I hope it's tofu. Now, this reminds me of some stories that I've heard. So I don't know about you, but in my family, um, a lot of the the older generation, they like to mm-hmm. use WhatsApp. Um, I never really used WhatsApp until I got to law school, actually, uh, because apparently all our group chats are in WhatsApp. Um, yeah. what's the deal with that? But anyways, okay, you're welcome um, to free promotion. What's up or Facebook rather? Right, right. Yeah, I want a shirt, guys. <laughs> Come on, um, yeah, there was a video circulating about rice that was actually mixed with plastic, and the way people would find out is that when they go to fry their rice, it would just catch into flames. Uh, right, uh, like yeah, you boil it first, whatever. Um, but because it's a mix of real rice and plastic, like you won't necessarily tell because like it's soft plastic, right? But then you put it into the frying pan, and rather than I don't know, like sizzling and looking cool, like mm-hmm. whatever how food looks when you fry it, it just instantly caught into flames. And then when you pour it out, it's like a giant piece of gunk. And honestly. Up until reading this article, I'm like, oh, there's absolutely no way that would reach us. Like, that is is probably a weird, just one-off thing. But this proves that food fraud is real, and it's out there, you know? Wow, you can't sell me plus and tell me it's rice. Right? Right? So, I actually have a fun fact for you. Do you like sushi? 
I love sushi. Yeah, and you know how they give you like um. Oh, no, you're gonna ruin sushi for me. I'm gonna ruin sushi for you. You know how they give you like that little green stuff. Can you tell me what that is? The wasabi, you mean? Yeah, the wasabi. You know, wasabi. It's so cool. You like you put it on your tongue and you get a rush like through your nose. Right through your nose. It um, clears the sinuses every time. So I'm about to ruin your whole day with this one. Oh no! Oh no! The wasabi that you eat in a lot of these restaurants is not actually wasabi. Oh. Oh. Right? So what they actually found is that wasabi and the substitute that they're using, which is horseradish and green dye. Um, horseradish and green dye. Horseradish and green dye. You're really going to paint a horse green and tell me it's wasabi, huh? Right? So they find that unless you're like an absolute like food or wasabi expert you're not going to be able to tell the difference between it and wasabi is way more expensive not only to like harvest produce but to store than horseradishes you know Mm -hmm. like honestly i couldn't tell you what horseradish is but it's everywhere and it's a lot cheaper and the average person wouldn't be able to tell the difference so i i wonder would that amount to food fraud because there's also crab out there that isn't real crab. It's oh, imitation crab. crab. Yeah. Right? But I think they declare imitation crab, so we are at least sort of aware of it. I mean, to be honest with you, I actually enjoy the taste of imitation crab, which I, I, I think is what largely tofu or or there, there's a there's a mix of uh, other fish and tofu in there. But it's not an unpleasant taste as long as you know it's not real crab. Uh, if I have real crab and I taste it with imitation crab, you can tell the difference. Yeah. But I don't, I'm not opposed to imitation crab, really. Yeah, tell me, tell me, I'm pro imitation crab. Pro imitation crab. That pro is the first crab. time I've heard that sentence. And hot takes I'm on loving mic. it. That is a hot take of the day. Pro imitation crab. Pro imitation crab. You can quote me on that. So it's almost as if, as long as the consumers know, it's okay. Is what I'm trying to like. I don't know because it's just a common thing that a lot of people know that a lot of crab out there is imitation crab. Like, even when you buy it, you can buy it from the stores and it'll be like, yo, this is not real crab, like, mm-hmm. just by the way, right? Um, wasabi's a little bit different. I think that's sort of more of a recent discovery from people. Um, but I guess my biggest fear would be imitation meat. Um, there's countless stories of uh, restaurants passing off horse meat as beef. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I thought imitation meat was like that kind of like uh, vegan style, like plant based food, like you know the Harvey's Impossible Burger or those kind of like, oh, this mm. is Beyond Meat or Impossible. Yeah, meat kind of the 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 plant based meat. Those they they taste pretty good actually. Do they honestly? Now? Yeah, yeah. You see, I'm the type of person that if like I want to have like a nice burger, I'm gonna I don't know have a nice burger. But burger. people were trying to sell me on it. They're like, oh no, man, trust me, like it tastes delicious. It's it's plants, but you'll never know. And you'll I tried know. it, and you know what? It, it makes a persuasive argument, you know? Yeah, uh-huh, it is. You know? Do you feel that the courts will be bound by uh, precedence? Oof. Oh, badly. Oof. I'm so sorry. Oof. <laughs> I'm so sorry. But that's, <laughs> yeah. but I, I love that. Uh, transition us towards our, our, our raison d'etre for being here, which is the uh, the legal discussions. And our topic today uh, will come courtesy of our guest, Catherine Ecladios from the Family Planning for Persons with Disabilities Project under Harmony in Action. Thank you for coming in today, Kat. Please introduce yourself and tell us a bit about why you wanted to join PBSC. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me today. Thanks for being here. We really appreciate you, Kat. Yeah, I'm excited to be here today. 
Yeah, I'm really excited because Harmony in Action, the group that I work for in Pro Bono, is something I'm super passionate about. Um, it kind of felt like a no-brainer as soon as I applied, uh, especially working with adults with developmental disabilities. That's something that's super near and dear to my heart. So I felt like it was a great intersection by doing legal work um, and helping people that I really care about. Yeah, wow. Um, actually, Kat, do you want to tell us a bit about yourself and your background as well? Um, you know, I've always really like to hear who our students are, um, not just as law students, but also like from before in undergrad and what else you've done up until now. Yeah. Uh, so I'm actually from BC. So I'm mm. way from far out west. Uh, I went to UBC for my undergrad and I studied Central Near Eastern Religious Studies, which I know is a mouthful, but I absolutely loved my program. Uh, had a great experience there. Um, and throughout my time at UBC, I kind of focused a lot on working for nonprofits, um, mm -hmm. working for everything in like live and caregiver programs, uh, to working in domestic violence environments. So everything and in between, um, it really was important to me to get involved with my local community and see ways that I could help. Um, fundamentally, I think why I ended up choosing to come to Windsor for Law was it had such a strong focus in social justice that mm -hmm. I really felt that that was kind of the way that I could use my interests and skills to be able to apply it in a legal environment. Mm -hmm. So that is why I'm here now. Cool. So what was what was that move like? Because I like I'm originally from the GTA, and then I recently moved to Windsor for law school. Actually, um, so that was kind of a shock for me, and that's what only four hours away. And I'm assuming Vancouver is a lot. A lot farther than like the GTA. So yeah, yeah what was that shock? It like? is significantly farther. Okay. Uh, definitely quite a culture shock, just in sense of the cold. That was a big change for me. And coming from being in a city in Vancouver to now, you know, coming to Windsor, which is a little bit of a smaller town. Uh, definitely a transition, but nevertheless, I actually love it here. Um, I really like living in a smaller community where I can walk to school and you know everybody and it's a collegiate environment. Um, UBC specifically was a super large institution, so I think a lot of students can feel a little bit lost in the crowd, but being in Windsor, it's such a small community. Everyone's really connected which I loved. Um, and another big thing about being out here is that you're close to everything. I'm close to Toronto, I'm close to Chicago, I'm close to Boston, Montreal, Ottawa. Whereas on the West Coast, we are close to Kelowna, <laughs> which if you guys who know where that is. So um, definitely a big difference in lifestyle. I am a BC girl at heart. I do love to hike, I love to ski. I love green juices and yoga and everything in between. So that's a bit of an adjustment. Uh, a lot of West Coast check marks. Yeah, right? Just all of that. So uh, I love being here and being in a different environment. It's kind of cool to be in Toronto and the GTA area. Man, you, you sort of answered my question ahead of time. I was going to put you on the spot and ask you, now that you've spent a couple months in Ontario, what do you like better? But I guess we already know now, eh? I know. No, <laughs> honestly, it's just, it's funny because they're so different. Um, but I don't know. I'm, I'm really liking Ontario so far. I definitely feel like this is somewhere I could live long term. Um, love my friends here. I just, yeah, can't complain. Windsor's treating me well. That's a win for Ontario, eh, Victor? Win for Windsor. <laughs> yeah. Right so I just, uh, oh, win for Windsor. I never noticed that. I like that. <laughs> I like that. Um, so, yeah, I noticed that you mentioned that um, a lot of your work experience throughout undergrad were sort of related to working with at-risk communities. So is that something that sort of drew you to working with this particular project? Yeah, actually. Um, so because my project focuses on adults with developmental disabilities, uh, my aunt is actually or actually has a developmental disability. So 
what we do in our project is we specifically help the families in providing information regarding um, what happens essentially after they pass away with the whole legal parameters of writing a will, how to take care of them, etc. And I live that with uh, my aunt as I am her own family and I will be the person taking care of her and dealing with third parties and I understand the personal struggle of it as well as just the compassion for dealing with people with developmental disabilities. Um, so that really kind of led me into this path and the best part of kind of being in law school is I'm able to do that type of research. I'm able to have those resources and networks to learn and to be able to help other families like myself. Um, so it was kind of a no-brainer when I saw the project. I was like, this is amazing. I can do this. Um, and the project and especially the executive directors we've worked for have been super excited um, of the work that we're going to be doing with them. That's really interesting. Uh, I have a I have a question. This might be a bit silly since uh, I'm a quote unquote mama's boy, and I have no idea what I'm gonna do once uh, once Ray. <laughs> yeah, I actually live at home with my mom, so uh, shout out to you, mom. Um, but yeah, so you mentioned family planning after a death of a family member. So what like what happens? Like, doesn't everything just switch over to the next in line, or are there any bars for people who have um, mental disabilities? Right. So it's actually a very um, complex issue because in according with the law, there is a grade of what is considered um, the level of assistance an individual needs. And that's reflected in the will and the assistance that can be legally offered. So what that means is, let's say an individual is completely dependent on their parents. Um, if that is not necessarily looked at by a medical professional um, and there is nothing in the will, nobody kind of takes over, they essentially go to the state, which does isn't necessarily a bad thing at all. However, it's a completely different process than saying, you know, I'm relinquishing the care of X to her sister Y, right? So, so many different avenues of what can happen. But unfortunately, too, with parents, it's a huge task to take care of um, a child with developmental disabilities. Um, and frankly, Obviously, as we know, legal information is hard to come by. So what we offer is just the information of saying, look, these are your options. Um, this is how we can set things up upon a death. Because most people, I think, actually haven't looked into it. Um, it's a really complex issue. So the way that we can be of assistance is, frankly, just providing them further information. That makes okay. sense. You know, I think it's really interesting. When when you ask most people of law, law school, people always think, oh, you're going to law school? Help me sue someone. Help me, help me uh, get this litigation going. But then the story you present right now, the story of, you know, compassionate help and helping those at risk is the side of law, not just law school, but also law at large that do you often feel like the media and p public perception really doesn't adequately cover this? Yeah, I would totally agree with that. And I think because this is such a specific issue that really, unless you have family members with developmental disabilities, you're never really going to look into this. Um, and frankly, in my opinion, I think the law is very much based upon the day-to-day -day stuff that most people deal with, right? We're talking wills, buying homes, just normal transactions that lawyers have to look through. The issue with this is that this is someone's life and livelihood. We're talking about the money that's stored away for them to be taken care of, the type of housing, the care, etc. Like it's a very nuanced and specific type of law, but you know, the media doesn't necessarily talk about the fact that people with uh, developmental issues or whatever need legal assistance and they need 
help for the parents to be able to navigate this space um suits doesn't show this right like we're <laughs> no, talking tv not. this is not it's not the glamour side of law but i think a lot of it's the reality of what practitioners end up doing right i think you hit it right on the head there um everyone you know, media side, but everyone loves to glamorize that aspect of uh, combativeness in a law. The the litigation side, oh, there's a winner and a loser. You know, everyone reads the cases as X V Y, but actually, it's not X versus Y. We learned it's X and Y. So the element of law where it's more harmonious and it's for the betterment of society is this element that I think we really could stand to benefit more from learning about. Which, you know, having you on board, Kat, I think is a great opportunity for us and our, our listeners as well to get this compassion inside of the law and this perspective on it. So can you tell us a little bit more about Harmony Action specifically as an organization? Um, are they specifically dedicated towards the legal aspect or is it more of a uh, community organization that happens to cover the law as well? Yeah, so Harmony in Action is a non-prof and they focus on personal growth, social integration and developing independence for adults with developmental disabilities. So what that really means is they offer programming um, for clients to come in. They have different activities, um, obviously with trained professionals who essentially have a drop-in center for them to be able to um, be looked after, especially thinking about when parents are going to work and also providing that social interaction and development. So it's such an important institution to have programming for adults with developmental disabilities, um, for cognitive situations, for socialization, developing independence, etc. So in the day-to-day that looks like social programmings, I know they have summer camps. Um, in upcoming in March, they're going to be having a drop-in for the parents to kind of have a discussion of what they're doing. And that's actually where we come in because we're providing, um, I guess, a booth or a presentation on the stuff that we've been researching. Mm-hmm. So essentially it's giving them an avenue for them to come in, socialize, uh, work with trained professionals, um, and seek a world where they are developing their skills and social integration. Wow, fascinating. And is Harmony in Action uh, in Windsor or is it across Ontario or Canada at large? Uh, Just in Windsor, for my knowledge. Okay, wow. This sounds like something that definitely should be picked up uh, by more places, more cities. So at this point, we will take a short break and we'll be right back with Magna Carta Pro Bono Radio after some messages. The Peer Support Center is a free drop-in center where you Windsor students can find a supportive peer to talk to. It's a safe and inclusive space where trained peer support volunteers offer counseling to those in need. The Peer Support Center is located in room 291 on the second floor of the CAW Center and is open Monday to Friday from 10 a.m. to 8 p.m. For more information, call 519-253-3000, extension 4551, or email psc at uwindsor.ca. And remember, it's okay to not be okay. And we're back. You're listening to CJM 99.1 Magna Carta Pro Bono Radio. Before the break, we were discussing the Family Planning for Persons with Disabilities Project with Catherine Acladios. Hey, welcome back. (laughs) Thank you. So, all the stuff that you said is so cool about this project. And I just wanted to know if you have actually heard of Harmony in Action prior to this, or if you've ever heard of 
like an organization that does similar work to this? Yeah. So back in BC, um, my aunt used to attend something called the drop-in center um, and it was facilitated by the community. And so I used to go there quite a bit, drop her off, help out, et cetera. Um, but I hadn't heard of Harmony in Action, I think probably just because I'm from BC. Uh, but when I came here, I actually did a little bit of research in terms of if there was a project like this, um, what organizations I can get involved with. And they're the first thing that came up, which is super cool. Amazing. Mm-hmm. And so how did you find out that they were connected to PBSC? Uh, because I've, I feel like there's definitely opportunities for people to help out in a long, non-legal way. But since you're a law student, you definitely want to leverage uh, the skills that you have uh, to help out in a more legal way. Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, I did some research because uh, regardless if they were involved with PBSC, it would have been something I was super passionate about getting involved in. Um, but when I found out that they were involved, especially with what they wanted in terms of their legal issues, um, I was really, really interested in getting involved. Um, I'm actually currently undergoing kind of the same thing um, in my personal life with my family and getting mm-hmm. those things organized. So it was a great timing to be able to assist them as well as kind of um, think about it for my own self in terms of how I want to help my aunt in the future and how I can be of assistance to other people. I know of so many families who really just don't have access to legal resources, uh, not to mention just frankly how expensive it is to be able to undergo this whole process, especially dealing with doctors and different lawyers, review boards, etc. So this is really such an important aspect of providing this legal service, just because frankly not having that is such a disadvantage to um, people and their families. Cool. So would you say that working this project has, I guess, taught you more about how to deal with the experiences in your own personal life? Absolutely. Um, I really didn't understand like the legal complexities of the things I would have to do as well as as different avenues. The cool thing about it is it really is a lot of options for each family to decide what works best for them. Um, And frankly, the best thing that we can do is provide that information and show families what their options are. So when and if the time comes, they're prepared, they're mindful um, and they're cognizant of what they can do. Um, It's important that we're looking for future care of people with developmental disabilities and how we can assist them in the long term wow that that, it is definitely is great work but i i do have a question which i think is do you feel this issue of uh taking care of people with this mental uh development of disabilities and especially the legal side of it is an underrepresented issue and if if you do feel so do you how do you think harmony in action has been raising working to raise awareness of this Absolutely. I definitely think it's an underrepresented issue. Again, it doesn't come with the glamour of certain types of law. Um, and also, it's it's very inaccessible to a lot of families who, frankly, can't afford legal services. Um, Harmony in Action, though, has been instrumental in assisting families and working alongside them to kind of provide them their options. Um, a really cool thing that they're doing is they're looking in the future to provide a residence um, for adults with developmental disabilities. So they're actually going wow. to be building um, residence. So they're in the works of kind of, I think, getting permits and getting things sorted for that. But that's a really, really important thing because a crucial issue is that when and if parents pass away you know where does the child live and what i mean child i mean adults that are probably in their 50s 40s etc right um a normal you know older folks home does not offer them the care and um and frankly support that they need right so it's not really sufficient to just move them there and frankly in a lot of places they would be ineligible due to age requirements so where do they go right that's a that's a huge issue that they're trying to mitigate now so 
I think the great thing about Harmony in Action is that they're mitigating immediate issues that they have in terms of living situations. And that's important for the Windsor community as a whole, right? Absolutely. Thinking about parents, right? Like the just the feeling that there could potentially be somewhere for them to go after. They know they're going to be taken care of well um, and they're going to be offered the services that they need. Yeah, the peace of mind definitely is something that everyone deserves to have, right. especially in these type of situations. Right. Yeah. And... I know that you, by virtue of you being in Windsor and working directly with Harmony in Action, you're more exposed to what's going on. Um, Would you say that since working with this project, you're able to spot sort of the inefficiencies um, outside of Windsor, like uh, back in BC? Like, are you able to spot sort of the, the inefficiencies with the current, like, regime when it comes to family planning as as it relates to those with them uh i can't say that word developmental disabilities right absolutely i think in my opinion the immediate issue that i see kind of across the board is housing um there really just isn't a lot of options so Mm -hmm. first and foremost um you can be eligible to go into a group home but from my understanding in ontario that can take years so you know let's say should a family member die there's nobody else to take care of the individual specifically to live in their home the question is where do you go Mm -hmm. and so there's kind of just a situation where you're scrambling to find a place for somebody to live um and they really do need a lot of resources help assistance um it's the breadth of the resources that they need are immense right so it's not sufficient to just kind of put them wherever there's a space to live um and that's kind of an immediate issue right we're talking about issues Mm -hmm. of funding but again it's very expensive to live in a certain place etc so I think moving forward, the legal issues of helping families as well as providing funding, getting funding um, for institutions for them to live in is something that's really important moving forward. I agree. And, you know, in our last show, we spoke with Olivia about the housing problem in Windsor, and it was described as a crisis. And I thought at the time, if it's a crisis for the typical members of the population, I I didn't consider it. But what about the more vulnerable uh, members of our population? And I think the point you just raised is absolutely essential for us to understand that when there's an issue with housing especially when there's more vulnerable members of the community there is not just the typical we need room here we also need the special care so i think what harmony in action is doing right now um, is absolutely essential I'm, I'm glad that we were able to give a platform for more members of our community to be be aware of it um but i do actually have a question with regards to the people that are most affected by this um this housing issue uh, specifically so in your experience, have you found that the people who are most affected are elderly or are they on more of the younger side, like the youth or young adults? Um, I think specifically with adults with developmental disabilities, not necessarily elderly, but people I would say in their 40s to 50s, right? Because mm-hmm. at least in my own family situation, my grandfather took care of my aunt up until his 80s, right? So we're talking about an immigrant from Portugal who had the mentality of you take care of your family to the day that you die. Um, I do see that mirrored in a lot of families with developmental disabilities. However, um, my family and I think also too with their understanding of the law in English, they didn't really understand the concept that you need to have a lot of things in place for the protection of your child because you need to appoint somebody to be taking care of them. And there's also the question of, you know, are they at the level to be taken care of, right? You know, like, are they able to kind of make their own decisions to what degree, right? Like, these are all things that need to be assessed. So the grave effect, I think, I think it diversely affects people, or excuse me, adversely affects people. 
who don't really understand the legal system, the fact that, you know, it is a very big job to be taking care of individuals with developmental disabilities and what resources are out there, right? So, um, again, I think it affects people who are in their 50s and 60s who parents have passed away, and now the question is, now what, right? So I sort of have two questions stemming from that. I guess the first one would be, in terms of the, the materials that you guys produce, is this new information? And by that, like, are you guys going into the communities and doing this research yourself? Or are you sort of compiling the information that's already out there? And that leads to my second question with, can the ordinary person who is not familiar with the law or even familiar with this issue be able to come across the information that you guys disperse by themselves? Yeah, so I think to a degree, and I think depending on the individual. So, of course, we all have access to Google, but the problem is is that the law is actually very nuanced on this topic, um, and regardless, individuals can't really draft a will on their own, especially with the complexity. So, for example, um, you know, you'd want a power of attorney to oversee, let's say, their financial aspects, right? So that could be a sister, a friend, whatever, but to what degree, right? Like, can they just make financial decisions? Can they make medical decisions for them? That could be anything from the medication they take, perhaps to where they're living. So there's always degrees. So again, regardless, there will always be a point where a lawyer is going to need to get involved and perhaps a medical professional for evaluation purposes. So I think a lot of people have that information out there. You can talk to, especially Harmony in Action, they have a wealth of information to assist parents. Um, you know, however, it's also just a, a topic of contention, right? So we're talking about the inevitable death of a parent, which is a really touchy subject. Um, we're talking about prepping for after death. And of course, every parent's fear is taking care of their child. Um, so these are also very personal topics that I think people need to be cognizant of how and when they bring these up. So yes, the information is out there, but at some point, for sure, I think a lawyer is going to need to get involved. Yeah, and the reason why I asked is because it it speaks to the access to justice um, sort of issue, is that, yeah, there sometimes can be a lot of information out there, but it's exactly as you said. At some point, a lawyer or a professional at anything, really, is going to have to step in and sort of clear up and sort of break down what you're actually looking at because it's 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 hard you know there's information we're constantly bombarded by information every single day and like you said this is a very contentious topic nobody nobody wants to sort of bring up the issue like hey like i think my parent is gonna pass away soon like that's that's a difficult topic to talk about like even me thinking about it like my heart's racing I'm like oh mom like wood. Yeah. but yeah knock on wood um so it's it's just amazing the work that you guys do for the winter community. Um, so seeing as you've gone through almost an entire, or yeah, you've gone through an entire semester and you're going through another semester with this, um, with this project and with this organization, do you think you are going to actively seek out opportunities like these in your legal career, be it as an a full lawyer working for an organization like this or through pro bono or whatever? Like, is this something that you want to continue with? Yeah, it's definitely something that I want to continue with. I'm not sure in what capacity I would love to be a lawyer working in this type of field, but regardless, I know for a fact that I will be doing pro bono work for them for a long time. This is something that I'm personally uh, very interested in. I have a lot of ties to, and I understand the ramifications of not having 
legal counsel or representation on this matter, and it really has such grave effects on the individuals. Um, I think the assistance that you provide really goes a long way, and it's such an important topic that, you know, why not help people? Why not raise awareness? Um, and because, again, I feel so closely tied to this topic, it's not by any means work to me. This is something that I really love to do to help the people. Absolutely. And one final thing I really did want to talk about um, is, you know, right now, to tie in with our legal education as well, I, I believe, um, Professor Enser, we're, we're in the same unit roughly, and we're all talking about wills and estates right now. How do you feel that what you've learned so far um, in class really ties in with what you're doing now? Because it's, it's, I think it's pretty rare that what we learn in class directly coincides with what we're working on. And I really wanted to sort of um, pick your brain on this. I want to jump in, and I just want to say that this is some very hard material to learn, too. So, Yeah, I mean, uh, the state unit, as everyone knows, is, is definitely a tough one. But um, if it's relevant to what you're doing, I think it makes it a lot more practical for you to learn, right? So Absolutely. I guess that's the really cool thing about law is that what you're learning becomes practical very fast. And it's exactly the topic of wills and estates um, in terms of what we're learning right now. It's assisted me a lot in kind of understanding the broader concepts. But another thing I will say about the topic is that it's very dense. It is um, quite a thorough legal concept. And obviously, we uh, are in consultation with a lawyer specifically who overlooks our legal research and kind of guides us on the topic. And his takeaway was, you know, it's a very broad topic, especially because working with adults with developmental disabilities is such a specific aspect within the will. And you, there's their intersection of dealing with the medical community. Um, very complicated. So I guess what it really taught me is just the breadth that I need to learn to be adequate in it um, and the possibilities that you can provide someone by being learned in this topic. Absolutely. I mean, even us just scratching the surface right now. But as, as I'm sure the audience now understands from your uh, really detailed explanation, the nuances in every case are so important because there's no two individuals that are the same. And every every, every individual... Um, regardless of whether or not there's developmental disabilities or not, with their wills, the situations are so unique um, that just having this general knowledge is really just our starting point. So I think it's amazing that with what you have already, you're able to jump in and, and help on a project. But definitely as we get more and more advanced with this, uh, I can see us having a lot more of a impact on not just in our, our projects, but also within our own lives as well. And I know for your personal situation, having this motivation to really work on it is definitely something that would motivate me to to work harder and study because I know with some of the more difficult units there's this concept like oh it's so dense and thing I'm just gonna learn the basics and move on but understanding the nuances is really key element here so absolutely it definitely is going to help and that's kind of the cool thing about law right is everything that you learn is going into practice and is going to be able to help someone at a later date so how can people who are interested in this project get involved or just not even the project in um, Harmony in action? Yeah, so I think Harmony in Action is definitely open to a lot of volunteers as well and people kind of getting involved with the community. I think the best way to create a rapport with the issue is actually getting to know the people that you're helping. And what's so interesting about this project is that you are just kind of able to meet and interact with people with developmental disabilities and you can really see the impacts that your assistance provides them. Um, so I definitely think volunteering, obviously donating to the cause, um, because this is such a specific cause, I think bringing awareness to the topic is something that's really going to help um, harmony in action in the future so having a conversation about it having a conversation about just 
perhaps generally our housing issues here and who's affected by that, I think creates a dialogue about who we need to help going forward. Absolutely. So thank you so much for coming, Kat. Uh, Are there any final thoughts you'd like to leave our listeners with? Yeah, I think my final thoughts would be have a conversation about it. Let's keep talking about the people that we need, how we can assist them and tangible ways that we can help them moving forward. I think that's really what's going to make the change. That's what's going to stimulate a conversation and get people thinking about the ways that they can get involved in their communities. Wow. There, there were so many quotables that we can take away from this conversation. Thank you, Kat. This is, no. this Thank is you guys for having me. Oh, Thank any, you. Anytime. Honestly, um, Victor, I don't know if you know this, but Kat and I are actually in the same class, and I was uh, frantically looking for someone to come onto the show, and I just looked at Kat and like, you, come on my show, <laughs> please. And she instantly was like, yeah, sure. There was just... So yeah, thank you, thank you for <laughs> no, thank you guys on. for having me. Time. And from all of us here at Magna Carta Pro Bono Radio, we'd like to extend our deepest thanks to you, Catherine, for coming in on our show today. We wish you and your other project members great success. We look forward to seeing the results of your hard work. Thank Thanks you guys again. so much. I really appreciate it. Thanks for coming on. Man, that that was a really cool episode today, don't you think? I I agree, hundred percent. There um, there was so much that I learned today. Um, well, first of all, like, like, you know, I, I live at home and I have no idea what happens when that time comes where my mom just isn't there to support me. Right. So I can even imagine what it's like for people with developmental disabilities. Yeah. Right. I mean, I think to the point that we talked with Kat last about, like the idea of what we're learning in school, having this practical effect, uh, so much, so much at a time. We have this feelings like what we're learning won't be immediately relevant. Like with con law, especially like there's there's just the element of like oh it's all theoretical. But speaking with the cat today really gave me this understanding. Like this wills and estate stuff, especially though we're having trouble with it now in class. It's difficult. There's a lot of history involved. There are such a significant, really just this practical element to it, and it doesn't just affect you know those who are like rich and wealthy like when i thought of wills and estates i was like oh it's those like millionaires and those people who have like, huge estates that, <laughs> the trust fund babies the and trust all fund, that. yeah i mean like those are the people that are like you know i'm gonna keep all my property hands off my hands off my estate kind of thing but yeah yeah really like i think everyone no matter what type of situation you are having that will is, is such an uh, you know as professor as professor answer said you know everyone should have a will everyone should have power of attorney and those are true true words that <laughs> You know, really, like, so much of the 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 population that doesn't really have this everyday, you know, awareness or even thinking of the law on an everyday basis, um, everyone needs to understand that just at the end of the day, having a will is not just peace of mind. It's also, like, really securing the future of your family, not not just the future of, you know, your property or whatnot, but it's the future of your family, your your heirs, your descendants, and, you know, all, all of that. Do you have a will, Victor? I actually don't yet. Oh. Um, and, you and know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go find a professor right now and say, do you know who doesn't have a will? And I mean, she's going to be very disappointed. I mean, I mean, professor answer would certainly be disappointed. But <laughs> it's, it's, it's interesting, too, because like we think of ourselves as like, you know, penniless students with uh, negative net worths thanks to the, uh, the student debt that we have. But at the end of the day, um, just having that will, having a plan in order, it really it really does uh provide that foundation for everyone else that's you know that's left behind exactly and Um, there was something that kat said that really stuck with me um i 
can't remember the exact quote, but it was something along the lines of, you don't necessarily need the law until you need the law. Exactly. That, man, that hit me so hard because there's so many things that you go about your day, you worry absolutely nothing about, um, especially for, like, able-bodied people with um, um, hetero heteronormative people who mm-hmm. have just, I want to say, like, the average life right there's a lot of things that yeah. they don't have to think about like I, I i think of a story in my life when in my grade 12 year mm-hmm. i injured my ankle really badly like i was in a moon boot as i like to call a it but boot. i was wearing um i was i was using uh what are those things crutches that's it i was using crutches for the entire first semester and before then like i like yeah i rolled an ankle here and there and had to hop around but I was always able-bodied in the sense that I could walk anywhere, like I could go anywhere. But it wasn't until that I was injured that I realized things aren't that accessible. And it just goes to the fact that like you don't really care or need things until you need things. So it was instantly then where my friends would invite me out. And they're like, hey, Mark, you want to come out to this place? And I'm like, I would, but they have a lot of stairs. Or I would, but that's like a lot of mud. I don't want to get mud on my crutches. Um and a lot of them just didn't understand and it it's almost disheartening for me that i had to be in that very situation to actually understand what's going on so that speaks again to what kat said about how one of the best ways to actually get to know an issue is to actually talk to the people in it going through it see it for yourself um i think this idea of like you know compassion and empathy it yeah I, w- I wouldn't say that it's necessarily in short order in our society, but definitely speaking, this issue of you don't know until you experience it is something that everybody kind of knows in the back of their mind, but never really thinks about too. Uh, we're so we are so busy with our everyday lives, and um, to stop and appreciate our own privileges is something that you know we we need to, we do need to do more often because at the end of the day, no one wants to be put in this position where you have to experience the difficulties, and and you shouldn't need to. Um, experience in firsthand to really understand the struggles of others. So what Kat really drove home for me today, which is the protecting the vulnerable members of our society as well in a system that is inherently not designed to keep them in place. Mm-hmm. You know, after all, the law is written by the majority for the majority, and that's part of the very foundation of our society. But it's in the charter, as we've learned, right? Protection of minorities is is essential. And protection of minorities means, in this case, not just thinking about them when there's an issue, but thinking about them always. When you know, when we're going through our everyday lives, we walk through a door, right? Is there a ramp? Yeah. Are there stairs? And, you know, and there's all these things that we just never really stop to consider, just because we don't need to. But once again, understanding those members of the population helps us understand ourselves better too. Exactly. Exactly. And that's why I love I love this project. I love. The things that Harmony in Action is doing. Um, yeah, absolutely. Like, it's it's essential. It's just essential. You need you need to get people out there. You need people, and, like, for a lack of better words, you need people on the front lines to see what's going on. To exactly. And not even just you need people to be there to see what's going on, but you need people who are in a place of privilege to be able to. Because when you have privilege, you're supposed to use that for the better. Absolutely. For the good. Absolutely. You're supposed to use your position as someone who, especially us as law students, who yep. hopefully will become future lawyers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, 
yeah um we we are in a position where we understand something that a large portion of the population doesn't and this is a skill a skill set and an ability that we need to use for good and that's why i love doing these interviews every single week because we learn so much you really make us sound like we're superheroes with our legal powers and you know what I like that thought. I, I really do. And, and, you know, we have, we are learning now um, the skills that we need to be not just lawyers, but remember advocates as well, right? The French word for lawyer is avocat. And, you know, in English, we often think of lawyers more as like people involved in like litigation and grabbing money and all this stuff. But like the advocate, as, advocacy aspect of law is something that we are all, especially here at Windsor, really focus on. And remember being a lawyer, yes, the, you know, money plays a factor in it always, but being able to make a difference in society yeah. for the public interest protecting those vulnerable the minorities that's really at the end of the day what every lawyer has the ability to do and and, and should do yeah everyday heroes is what i like to think about it wow that there is. are those everyday heroes so now that you sort of know um about the difficulties in place what are you going to do are you going to go out and make a will? I think I'm, you should do that. Yeah, I think <laughs> I definitely. Uh, the, the estates part, definitely for, for myself, but also thinking about, you know, uh, checking out those involved with Harmony in Action and seeing, you know, the the look on the people's faces when you go and just see them. Um, and, you know, I used to uh, do some volunteering at an old folks' home, and sometimes just being there, even if you're just listening to them or interacting with them, can make their day. And, and for us... Uh, being involved doesn't have to even involve any of our legal education. Cat might certainly be an expert on this subject, and though I'm struggling with those right now, but <laughs> at the end of the day, once we figure it out, it doesn't matter we we do or not because we can make a difference and have an impact regardless of whether or not you know we have in uh, a stake in this. Really, if, yeah. if you will, yeah. I think for me, what I'm gonna do 100 the second I get home, I'm gonna hug my mom. <laughs> I'm gonna hug my mom and I'm gonna tell her that I love her. I'm giving mom a call too. Oh, honestly, and I'm just, I'm just gonna appreciate what she does, and I'm gonna just recognize that. Yeah, she may not be here forever, and you know it, it's a scary thought, it's but thought. it's something that you do have to think about, and you have to think about what's next. Especially like I have two baby sisters, oh, yeah, um, so. It, the, the thought comes up sometimes where I'm like, okay, if anything were to happen, like, who's taking care of them? Like, me? Yeah. Man, I'm, I'm still a kid myself, you know? You really are, <laughs> I, I, I just <laughs> stroll through life going about things. Yeah. But, yeah, this this interview with Kat was so, so insightful. Taking and a moment to reflect, right? Yeah, yeah. That's that's what I like about this, man. We, we, we interview these projects, and we get a different perspective on things. And then I always walk around just feeling better and I reflect and I think about the position where that we're in and the good things that PBSE does you know absolutely and us getting to learn and then share it with uh, the Windsor Detroit community is something that really I I really wanted to do this project at the beginning and and this is the reason why having this feeling of like look we learned something we get to share with the with the community and now hopefully more people will be able to get involved and if nothing else just raising awareness it's definitely something great that we can do. Exactly. So I know you guys just love our voices so much. So I, I, I have something a bit in store for you guys. So next time you hear from Victor and I, we will be interviewing someone from the Wrongful Convictions Project. That's really cool. We haven't gotten around Forward to the to criminal it. context yet. That's going to be fun. Eh? We'll, we'll, we'll talk about that in there next time. 
But uh, for now, remember to tune in to CGM 99.1 every Friday at 12 for Magna Carta Pro Bono. You can listen anytime as well by going online to www.cjam.ca. Your hosts next week will be Charles and Nicholas. Please be sure to tune in. Some love in your life Don't you really want to know How it feels Everybody want to see What it's like We even want to be inside It ain't lies We all know there's better things In this life